0: Hey, Ryan here. Does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world-class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design bring it to life.
1: And we were able to break into that and use it as a test pad. And really for a year and a half, we would invent and break stuff on a daily basis. And that cultural aspect of what we're doing for innovation is really not the way you, you want to run a factory for mass production.
0: You're listening to Over the Air IoT Connected Devices and the Journey, brought to you by Vary. In each episode, we have sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT Connected Devices and The Journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Vary, and today we're joined by Chris Couch, Senior Vice President and CTO of Cooper Standard. In addition to being the founder and CEO of LiveLine Technologies, today we're gonna be talking about entrepreneurship through the scope of Industry 4.0. Chris, thanks for being on the show today.
1: You bet, Ryan. Good to be here. Thanks. So Chris,
0: we had a record setting number of pre-interviews, so I know all about LiveLine and Cooper Standard, but for those that don't know, give us a little background.
1: Yeah, sure. Cooper Standard is a global tier one automotive supplier. We're a leader in the sealing and fluids business. We're also in industrial products and materials. And LiveLine is a company that's come out of some innovative work we did at Cooper Standard the past few years and Liveline is all about enabling real-time control of factory systems in an inexpensive way using machine learning-based controllers in the loop. So we think it's pretty uh, cutting-edge stuff. We're having a great time with it. I think we're bringing a lot of value to industry. Excited to talk cool. about it today.
0: So right off the bat, I think a lot of people out there listening are probably, I think one of the topics they're most excited about is this idea of entrepreneurship within the broader context of IoT. So you guys have a really successful company. You looked at the market, said, Hey, I think there's an opportunity here to do something. And it's different enough that it probably merits being spun out as its own standalone company. What did that look like for you guys? How did you ensure you're right. building the right thing? And what did the conversation look like about spin out? Like, where does a person even begin with something like that?
1: Sure. Well, we began by solving our own problem and we had no idea where we were going to end up where we are right now, to be honest. And We just were looking at our pain points in manufacturing plants around the world for Cooper Standard, the mothership company, if you will, and thought we had an idea that might really help in terms of bringing a new level of automation, a new level of quality and efficiency, and a lot of associated benefits, even energy savings and carbon footprint reduction, and began to just solve our own engineering problem. And started to put together the team that we thought it would take to get it done. From a skill set mix, we were going about it a little bit unusual way, let's say, for typical controls gearheads like myself. And once we got into it and came up with an approach that we thought was working, we said, "Look, this is this is pretty unusual, and maybe it, it's useful elsewhere." And Covid was a blessing and a curse, right? It's a curse, obviously, in terms of the impact of people's lives and and health. So there's really you know nothing good to say about it. But the blessing side of it was that we had to slow down a little bit in terms of doing rollouts within the mothership company, and we used some of that time sitting at home, you know, not being in the office, not being in the factories to get on calls and talk to potential customers and try to get a feeling for whether or not what we're doing would be value-add in other contexts. And we spoke with people in food and beverage and oil and gas and wire and cable and different extrusion-based industries, even some some bio folks, and really convinced ourselves through those couple dozen discussions that this is probably a relevant approach. It's It's novel for sure. And we know that there are some industries where it makes a huge difference like ours, and are eager to keep pushing the gas pedal and see if we can add value in lots of other verticals as well. That's what we're all about. So
0: you, you go around market, you have a bunch of conversations, super valuable. This is how you discover product market fit, something we take seriously and know a thing or two about. But right. one of the things right. we hear a lot you know, is, is when companies begin to spend something out, they begin to incubate something that's very different than the core thing is cultural differences, you know, like this idea of, mm. Hey, we're an 80 year old company. This is an eight minute old company. It It's looking for different talent. It's thinking about things in different ways. Right. It's, you know, it's not like dad, it's got its own hot new take on things. What did that look like for Cooper and Liveline?
1: Yeah. Great topic. You know, I, I think to really answer that, well, we have to go back a little bit to just talking about innovation in general, right? And innovation is hard for every company, especially uh, more established ones that have got a track record, like you said, of of success with products that they know and love and with manufacturing processes that they know and love. And I believe that one of the keys to being innovative for anyone is the ability to iterate quickly with reasonably low costs and low risk, right? And when you're talking about factory systems that we're dealing with, that's not always so easy. If you're talking about just, you know, pure software in the sense of writing a gaming app or something, it's a little bit easier, right? It's just code. You hit the delete button and start again the next day if you don't like what you did. So one of the questions we had to ask ourselves was how do we create that fast, you know, agile sort of, of, of loop in the context of what we're trying to do? And one of the secrets to making it work was what we call our secret weapon. Cooper had a technology center in Livonia, Michigan, and happened to have some fully fledged production lines for the types of products they make that were used for sort of you know validation type work once in a while, but weren't fully burdened with daily production. And we were able to break into that and use it as a test pad. And really for a year and a half, we would invent and break stuff on a daily basis. And that cultural aspect of what we're doing for innovation is really not the way you you wanna run a factory for mass production, right? right. And so the ability to isolate our innovation activity in that center was absolutely key to uh, Mm -hmm. us, first of all, figuring out what we're going to do from a tech standpoint and then working on industrializing that out. So, in, in mass production environments, the name of the game is consistency, right? Predictability, reliability. It's the secret to safety, it's the secret to qual- consistent quality output. And we really needed to have a place where we could just break things and rebuild them on a daily basis. And so, carving out uh, the space in the tech center at Cooper Standard with a set of assets that were representative of what we, need, we needed to look at was really critical to the success of of what we've done
0: moving on to a, a second but related topic was it clumsy at all to go through and talk with people that you know you might consider competitors but that liveline would not consider competitors and have those conversations right. you know w- w- cuz here's Chris Couch right. on both sides of the you know the the Cooper Standard and the liveline so you're both <laughs> like vendor and at once, and also competitor. How how did you navigate that? Sure,
1: well, it started even before LiveLine was LiveLine. And originally we wanted to do the Expedient thing and try to buy the type of technology that LiveLine ultimately invented. And before, again, LiveLine was even LiveLine, as Cooper, we worked with, I think, 18 IoT types of companies from more established players to cutting edge new startups. And and work with means we either did a paid pilot or we simply had a couple of working sessions, right? To figure out if we we should do a paid pilot. We had 18 companies then over the course of the year. And ultimately we couldn't buy what we wanted to do. And just for distinction, the critical aspect was the real time control part of it, right? A lot of companies doing cool work and connectivity platforms, doing cool work and visualization, doing cool work and analytics that are descriptive in nature. A lot of wonderful stuff happening out there, but nobody was really hitting this problem head on. And again, what we're trying to do is real time control with machine learning based controllers at a factory level and got to the point where we said, look, if we want this, we're gonna have to build it. But by the way, nobody else can buy it either. So maybe, right, that opens the door for a conversation. And that's when we pick up the phone and started calling companies in these other manufacturing industries to try to assess if they had pain points that we could speak to.
0: Let's talk about obstacles. Okay. So now you've made the decision, you guys have identified the issue, you've gone to market, you've done the interviews. By the way, of companies don't do any of those three. So you're already in rarefied air. You've gone out to market, not just had the interviews, but like you're signing up competitors to be early adopters of this technology. Now you're really entering a rarefied space. What comes next is everything. A lot of people, you know, getting to the 95% mark is about half the work and the last 5% is the other half of the work. What were some unexpected obstacles that you guys uncovered in that, I'm using air quotes out here, last 5%? That you know, is always the majority of the work. What were some of the unexpected technical and other challenges that you guys have had to uncover so far to quote unquote, finish the job?
1: We really had two main surprises. One was technical and one was a business model surprise. A technical surprise was that to, to pull off what we're trying to pull off, the answer to the question of what's the minimal stack that you need to run is unfortunately a lot, right? And you know we're pulling data off sensors, we're putting it through transformation, signal processing, feature creation, we're doing inference, making controls decisions and pushing those back down into equipment in real time. Right. And that sounds sort of easy to say in a paragraph, but the technologies it takes to do that, even at a minimum of scale, are, are pretty imposing. Right. And we, I think, thought that we could probably come up with a minimum viable product that was a little easier to pull off than what we've done. I think from a deployment standpoint, what we have it is pretty easy from a customer viewpoint. We can, you know, ship. Servers to to the client sites and and remote deploy Docker images and we sort of get up and running. My infrastructure team would roll their eyes and say, "Look, it's never that easy, dude." Right? But basically, that's what's what, what we're that's what we're doing. But it, to to get there took more than we expected, I guess. Right? And I guess you could say, "Look, you know, given what you're trying to do, are, are you really surprised about that?" I guess not, but but it's a hard problem, right? It's a very hard problem, requires a a, a wide variety of skills to pull it off. And by the way, not just skills in the sense of data science and and streaming data protocols and all those things, but the the raw old school controls engineering know how to talk to industrial equipment and design control loops and and tune them to get good performance, the the real old school sort of stuff. We got to do it all. The other surprise for us was on the business model side, and we thought starting off, you know, even with Cooper Standard, the the mothership company, that because of what we're doing, right, we we know what's happening in the equipment, right, and we can quantify to the nth degree how things are performing. When things go wrong, you know, why do they go wrong? and you know what can we do to compensate automatically and what can you not do to compensate automatically you know if you got junk material coming into the plant that sort of stuff because of that we should be able to say look when you turn on liveline system and control your benefit is x and if you turn it off your you know demerits in the plants and your costs are going to be y you do the difference x minus y that's that's what we're bringing to you please pay us right And that's a wonderful thing to say in theory, and it's a very difficult thing to pull off in practice. And er early on in our journey, we were talking to a lot of very savvy investors in software. And I said what I just said to you, and they would laugh and say, look, nice idea. It it never, ever works. So you guys should be thinking about subscription-based pricing models, because trust me, you'll never get alignment on what that economic value is—it's not so easy—and we said, "Yeah, yeah, okay, great. You know, thanks for your advice. We don't sort of believe you because we're in there, we have the data, we know, right?" And lo and behold, they were a hundred percent correct. And it's not easy to do. And that you know, even with Cooper Standard being the the mother company, right, and, and we're all friendlies, it's still not easy to do. And the reality is when you're in doing plant level controls, every day is just different for the plant. The weather changes, right? We've had instances where people were saying our system wasn't performing well and there was a water leak in the plant from the ceiling and it was spraying water on the sensors, right? And so of course the system wasn't really working well, but whose fault is that? It's not our fault. (laughs) But you know that goes into the, the calculation. Well, we, you're, we were running with your system on, and we made crap product today. Okay, well, sorry. So that's sort of a silly and obvious example. There, there's there's hundred and one less trivial examples of stuff like that, right? And at the end of the day, it's very very difficult to do a, an economic gains based business model with the customers. I, I would say it's it's practically impossible. So that that was another big surprise for us, and I guess you know, between that and the technical side, what I'm trying to say is it's just a hard problem right. we're solving. It's not it's not been easy, and that's why we've been we've been you know essentially two and a half years in, in stealth mode on the inside, trying to bang our heads together and figure so this I out. So I want
0: to come all the way back to it's difficult. This is a hard problem. My question for you about you know doing this dual executive track. But even if it wasn't dual and you had moved totally over to LiveLine, and maybe that is the path for you in the future, talk to the audience. Somebody out there is asking themselves right now, do I want to bother with the hassle? Is this for me? Do I have what it takes? From the perspective of what you've been through, every company's different, every spinoff is different. What, you know, you're mm-hmm. having a beer, your second beer in, somebody, hey, Chris, you think I'll be good at this? What are the questions you would ask them? to figure out if they have the resident skill set, personality type to be effective. All right,
1: so the the most important question that I like to ask anybody that I'm interviewing for this type of, of role is what they do on the weekends. And what I mean by that is, what do they do in terms of side projects that will demonstrate to me that they have the passion and the perseverance to just pick up new skills? because that is what we're doing requires, right? And if I were to sit down and list the, the five things that I know how to do technically today that I didn't know how to do 24 months ago, right? I can rattle them off. And everybody on the team can do exactly the same. And, and the way we did it was we just buckle down and we'd look around and say like, nobody here knows about streaming you know, protocol X, somebody go learn it next week, right? And somebody goes and and doesn't look up from their computer for you know 100 hours until they they figure it out and can write it into code that's just sort of the mentality it takes when you're trying to smash together this many technologies into a blender right and trying to come up with with a a milkshake that that tastes decent That's just sort of what it takes nothing that we're doing is canned enough in terms of standard technology is that you can just, you know, pick it off the shelf and plug and play. It's it's just grinding it out. And so I want to know that people have the passion and the fortitude to just grind out learning new skills all the time. And it's it's pretty easy, right? You know, show me the, the open source projects you've committed to, right? Or show me your passion project on the weekends for cool tech that you've built. I don't care what it is. It doesn't have to be right. even software, right? And uh, that's just sort of the DNA we found it works with what we're doing. I'm sure someday if we're successful as LiveLine and we have marketing departments and, and other cool functions that aren't quite of the same vein, fine. But right now we're really talking you know, a core dozen technical people that are just grinding every day.
0: So we, we talked a lot about the path up to this moment in time. Give us a sneak peek, live line, looking forward. What are you really excited about? Paint us sure. a picture of the second half of 2022 or beyond or whatever that you're excited about or some of the things you think we might see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things that really keep us motivated. You know, one is first just making a difference to manufacturing people, right? Because most of us on the team have some roots in manufacturing and we just get excited about it right? and making people's lives easier. But if you translate that to, to broader impact, right? When plants run better, they make less waste. They burn less energy, right? They reduce their carbon footprint. They reduce, reduce their waste streams. They have safer environments. And those are the things that really matter. And we think that we're contributing in a material way to that story. And we're just passionate about it. Right. And if we want to have a chance to keep manufacturing from this country, but also in others too, right. We have to address this. And the best way that I know how to do it is to make the job as cool as we can. And we think that interacting with the types of intelligent systems that we're putting into plants is a way to make the job cool, right? You know, no longer are, are some of these jobs essentially, you know, checking gauges and dials and making adjustments. It's offloading some of the more mundane stuff to an intelligent system and then upskilling those jobs to be interpretation and to be working on you know, process improvements and trying to get ahead of issues that by the way we can alert them to given our predictive analytics. That job is is cool, right? And, and working with some of the most cutting edge machine learning we think around, right? And we think we can contribute meaningfully to making manufacturing cool right? And keeping talent in the pool.
0: Making manufacturing great again. I love it. Talk about, like, you're passionate about the space. I share that passion. I also love the broader ecosystem, like uh, consumer IoT. You know, I'm a big gadget dork. What's a company, you know, it could be as close or far away from where you operate as possible. Who out there in, you know, connected device, IoT, you know, tech land, are you looking at and you say, I like what these guys are doing. No more people need to be talking about these folks.
1: Well, I'll talk um, about stuff more related to what we're doing at Liveline. There are a lot of companies we think are cool. I mentioned we talked to eighteen yes. of them in earnest, yeah. right, in the last in the last two years. So we and we we've, we've we've released research on paper, you know, double that probably or triple. We think that the the folks at companies like uh, a Tulip IO, they're in Boston. It's an MIT affiliated startup. They're doing some great, we think, best in class operator interface and getting those spun up quickly at low cost by engineers and plants. We like the folks at Site Machine. They're originally a Michigan company, so we got to give them props as a Michigan company, right? They've moved on to the glory land, I think, of, of having a headquarters in, in uh, San Francisco, but they're doing some cool connectivity platforms relevant for what we're doing. You know, we keep an eye on them. We keep an eye on uh, Litmus, IO, for the same reason, a connectivity platform. And, you know, we obviously have something similar to that that we have built because we had to. But as we look out in the future, as, as LiveLine grows and we expand and we sort of have things that we would like to focus on and things that we don't want to have to focus on we look at companies like tulip and site machine and litmus and say hey you know someday maybe there's a chance for a beer and a conversation and we can leverage each other's strengths and help everybody go faster you know who knows we haven't had those discussions so nobody <laughs> get excited to those companies but yeah, those are those are the types of folks that we keep an eye on and you know, we're we're all like engineers and, and very practical. And I think if we can partner for stuff instead of having to reinvent the wheel every time, that's usually a win. So we'll see how totally the future goes. Agree.
0: Well, we love that kind of like collaboration, even within, I don't know, competitors, you know, hey, let's drive this thing forward. So we covered a lot today. And the thing I love about it, like I said at the top, we've never had more pre-interviews than we had with you. And a big part was there was just so much interesting content to go through (laughs) that it was like, you know, we kept, you and I kept nerding out going off into right field in different directions. You know a lot, you've been around for a minute. I'm not calling you old, you said it, not me. For folks that want to follow the story, you know, where's a good place to keep up with you um, if they want to follow along after listening to this episode? For
1: LiveLine as a company, you can always uh, reach us on liveline.tech. And you can find our contact info there. Personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, Christopher Couch, and uh, love to to hear from folks. We're always looking for good talent, people passionate in this space. Whether they want to come help us build uh, the the real time automation that we're building, or whether they want to talk to us about partnering up, or talk about coming to help your company as a manufacturer, we love it and uh, happy to happy to chat anytime. Chris,
0: thanks for thanks so much for being on the show today. You bet. Thanks, Ryan. All right, folks, that's it for today. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would love a rating. That's it for today. My name is Ryan Prosser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys on the Internet. You've been listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Have a question or an idea for a future episode? Send it to podcast at verypossible.com. See you next time.